0: Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. Um, my name's Scott Jennison. I'm the Acquisitions Manager here at Streamline Property Buyers, and it's a fantastic day. Really exciting. We love getting um, great guests with us. And um, today, we we'll, think we'll have a really good chat to Nicola McDougall. Welcome, Nicola.
2: Thank you for having me. It's fabulous to see you
0: both. Fabulous to see you too. It's Melinda Jennison here, Managing Director of Streamlined Property Buyers. Now, for those who don't already know Nicola, um, she's got a very long list of accolades uh, behind her name. If you pop over to her LinkedIn profile, you will read all about her. But um, first and foremost, um, especially for today, Nicola is the chair of the Property Investment Professionals of Australia. Um, PIPA is the acronym that we use when we are members of um, the association group. And we're gonna find out a little bit more about this association today. Of course, Streamline Property Buyers um, are members of PIPPER, and they are the organisation that also offer the qualification to become a qualified property investment advisor, something that we always encourage anyone in the industry to look after, but uh, the list goes on.
1: And um, for those listeners as well, other than listening, but if you want to read a book, um, Nicola is also the co-author of The Female Investor and a couple of other books, Nicola, The uh, Property Investing for Dummies, Buying a Property for Dummies and Property Investing uh, investing Essentials for Dummies, mm-hmm. so a little bit of writing as well in your in your spare time, I think, from the busy schedule that you have.
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, I wrote those books. and I'll be clear that with the Property Investing for Dummies series, um, it was an updated edition, so it wasn't as taxing as actually writing a whole book from scratch. But, but fundamentally, all of those four books were produced in an 18-month period, um, which was last year. And uh, needless to say, no more books for me this year, probably mm-hmm. not next year either.
0: You've po- probably run out of time, Nicola, because um, I know behind the scenes there's some very, very big news that is hot off the press. I mean, at the time of recording um, this week, um, in fact, this news has come out. um, And of course, by the time listeners are um, reviewing this podcast or listening to this podcast, it still will be very relevant news. So um, the ninth annual property investor sentiment survey put out by PIPA results have just actually been released this week. Nicola, you've been busy talking to the media since those results became public.
2: Yeah, yesterday was um, the day that the results were released publicly. And, look, it's a project that's uh, several months in the making every year. It's our ninth ninth annual one, as you mentioned, Melinda. We always run it in August every year as well, so over a three-week period. So that makes it, you know, particularly statistically reliable when we're running it at the same time every year. This year we actually had a record number of survey respondents as well, so some 1,724 survey respondents. Um, Over the years... You know, certainly from last year to this year, we, you know, the the, the survey evolves, um, it's getting quite large, um, and every year we, you know, make sure that we're asking questions based on current uh, investor sentiment, you know, and last year was the first time, um, which is a bit embarrassing to say, but we would always ask investors about their sentiment about buying, Uh, and then last year we decided to start uh, asking them about their selling um, intentions for the year ahead, but also whether they had sold something in the past 12 months. Uh, Sorry, last year was the past two years. Um, And where they sold and why they sold. Uh, And as we know, you know, last year um, our survey came out and showed that uh, I think it was 45% of investors last year had sold at least one property in Queensland. And we released that. And, um, you know, obviously there was a lot of campaigning going on at the time, but six days later that uh, ridiculous interstate uh, uh, land tax that Queensland government had enacted was repealed. So Mm. that was amazing that we, PIPA, and our members um, and investors played a part in potentially getting that legislation repealed. Uh, This year we asked the same questions of investors, you know, what have you been doing? Why have you been doing it? Um, And unfortunately, you know, a huge cohort of investors have continued to sell. Um, Last year, about 19% of survey respondents around the nation indicated that they were thinking of selling in the next 12 months and 12% actually have around the nation sold at least one investment property. Um, What was really interesting, again, was that uh, nearly 40% of investors who indicated that sold, had sold at least one dwelling in Queensland. So Queensland, once again, the number one, not in a good way, um, location around the nation uh, where investors had had sold, followed by Victoria, the number one city um, where investors have sold in the last 12 months was actually Melbourne, uh, and then followed by, by Brisbane and regional Queensland. Um, so those results were released nationally yesterday, and, and clearly um, there's been a, a lot of media and industry in, uh, interest. And it's important for us to to represent the industry, but also you know to provide the opportunity to represent investors because we haven't had um, um, you know a big part in the conversations up till the recent years. And it's really nice to have some balance out there um, from those of us in the property investment profession like yourselves, but also those of us that have the opportunity. To represent investors, when often we just hear from the tenant side um, of the equation.
1: Uh, Nicola, I, I know that you, when you talk about representing, and this is for some of our listeners that probably don't know a lot um, about Pepper. Um, mm. So you, you represent obviously the investors on the on the property side of things. How much of a voice do you guys have um, when you talk about? Um, governments and doing legislation and changes mm. and as you said the land tax and all those types of things how much of a voice do you guys actually have when it comes to that sort of those decisions or or um debating those decisions sometimes Look,
2: oh, good question um it did, it's growing year on year and that's a fabulous thing to say as someone who's been on the board for nine years and the chair since the start of last year um and that's been a concerted effort you know over the last 18 years from there. You know, our founding members all those years ago and the and the association has, has grown every year. Um, certainly, if I think about the, you know, I have been on the board um, quite a long time as a volunteer. We're all volunteers on the board. Um, I think really where the tipping point for us was about 2019 when um, Pippa we actually produced some research, which we um, sent to, to politicians in Canberra. And uh, at the time, it was the, uh, the LNP who were in government, federal government. And next thing you know, Peter Kalisos, who was the chair at the time, and, and myself, were invited down to Canberra uh, to be involved in this really big industry roundtable about negative gearing, because at the time, uh, Federal Labor was campaigning to act negative gearing as part of their, you know, push to get into government. Obviously, they lost that election partly because of the industry campaign. Um, so I think, you know, if we're thinking back, when did we start having influence or profile more in a political circles, it, that was it. Um, since then, we've really worked hard and I have a lot of experience in industry associations as well. Um, I was with the Real Estate Institute of Queensland for for many years. So I have a lot of experience in regards to making connections with the right people. Um, so since that time, it's, you know, obviously grown and grown and grown. Um, we, you know, generally speaking, we have had quite good connections, um, with um political parties that perhaps not are not in power at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, generally speaking. Um, but we are starting to see you know much more connections. Um, recently, last week, I was actually in Canberra, I was invited to Canberra um, to represent PIPA and our members, and I met with the shadow housing minister, Michael Suka, but also prior to that, um, a few weeks before, I'd actually had a conversation um, on a late Friday afternoon with the senior policy advisor for the Federal Housing Minister. Um, and I think at the time I said this might be the first time that, you know, our association's everyone ever spoken to someone from the Australian Labor Party um, or they were working for the Australian ALP, you know. So those sort of inroads are getting much and much, much more pronounced. Um, just before our chat today, um, I, had a, I had a message from our operations manager at the that um, a request for me to call someone from the Queensland Premier and Cabinet's office. Um, We have tried for quite some time to get representation at various Queensland housing summits. We've never been successful. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that phone call came through today and our research was uh, released yesterday. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, I've rung rung back that person and and had a bit of a chat and one would hope that that might um, mean that, you know, Pippa and our members and and the wider sector is going to have more representation uh, with policymakers. Because that has been, you know, thankfully we've had real estate institutes that have been there, but you know, I mean, I think Pippa and, and certainly other associations we represent investors much more, and they haven't had much of a voice until until recent years. So um, watch this space to see where that phone call leads us. But that's a big, that was a big deal, you know. Absolutely. I just saw that just before. I was like, wow, I, I might have said about bloody time. Um, but anyway, you keep on trying. You keep on, you keep on keeping on, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. So every 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 moment, every month, you know, every year the profile of the association uh is growing, uh the association is is growing um and and that means that our ability to represent our
0: members is growing as well.
1: So you heard it first on the on the uh, <laughs> yes, You did. Podcast, Literally just let you heard say that. that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news. Yeah. Um, Nicola I will say, you know, often uh investors are portrayed um you know through the media as as the bad guys um you know being greedy being um you know hungry to to put up rents um and often the voice for investors has been silenced and obviously you know there's a lot of people that do invest in property and when Pippa put out these um investor sentiment surveys it really does provide um the feeling or the sentiment of of what investors are feeling now there has been a lot of pain for investors we've talked about this because we've been in a rising interest rate environment and while some people tend to focus on the fact that rents have been increasing and therefore tenants have been you know spending more and more of their take-home income on rent that's actually not because investors are greedy but obviously it's a supply and demand thing you know um rent is is based on the ability of someone to pay for a property that that you know has a certain level of demand um Mm -hmm. a tenant will not pay something that's over market value. The property will simply sit on the market if that is the case. But meanwhile, investors have been, you know, charged higher and higher interest rates as the interest rate cycles um, has continued to increase. Um, but the the voice of investors has often been silenced. And that's something that you advocate for, you know, as, as the chair of PIPA, and I do know and understand that. Now, in relation to the results of the, the survey that have come out, it's quite, alarming that you know here on the brisbane property podcast if we focus on what's happened here in brisbane and and also in queensland as a whole that that brisbane and regional queensland take out the number two and three spot in terms of the the locations where the largest volume of property investors have sold Mm. in the last 12 months across australia now obviously we have had a rental supply crisis for some time, meaning that there's simply not been enough properties available to rent based on the number of people that have been looking for rental properties. But on top of that, we've still got this huge volume of interstate migrants. We've got overseas migrants entering as well. Everybody that relocates, or the majority of people that relocate typically will rent before they buy, but that, that rental supply is shrinking. Yeah. What is this going to mean for, for Queensland and Brisbane? There's certainly opportunity for investors to get in. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's yes. a bit of a...
2: Yeah, you know, and it's, and it's a difficult one, really, because it's clearly, you know, our, our data, our research is statistically reliable. Um, and, and until last year, no one really... You know, what's the weirdest thing was that, you know, until last year in our survey, no one ever bothered to ask investors about their selling, if they were selling and that's kind of embarrassing for us as well but, you know, and so now we actually have started to create this data set because it actually didn't exist. No one ever bothered to, you know, so it's really hard to do like historical averages because the data's not there. Mm. I know CoreLogic's doing some great things um, this year in regards to potential sales that are implied former investment properties. So. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, when you think about the fact that investors didn't have a voice or much of a voice, you know, a lot of places weren't even tracking what they were doing, Mm. you know, in regards to selling. So, and it's interesting here in Queensland um, that the results were so high over the last 12 months. I was a little taken aback by that. Um, What was really interesting with the results as well was that last year the number one reason nationally that investors were selling was to make the most of rising market conditions. Mm. Uh, so we asked them last year if they'd sold in the yeah. previous two years. So they were making the most of those rising market conditions at the time. This year, though, the number one result why investors are selling uh, was the, the increases or the, even the threat of increases to property taxes. Mm. Um, uh, certainly, quite a few uh, survey respondents mentioned, mentioned the new Victorian land tax, for example. And the number two reason uh, was changing le- uh, ch- changing tenancy legislation which makes them feel that not, that not only, you know, lost control of their asset, but also increases their costs. And if we think about here in Queensland, the rental cap that was that has been uh, brought in, but also it was brought in retrospectively and caught many investors, myself included, on the hop mm-hmm. yeah. uh, because we weren't able to increase uh, the rent at the same time that, for example, one of my properties, the mortgage repayments went up by $1,200 a month. Mm. Um and I wasn't able to increase the rent for a year because it was retrospective. Um, and look, I was only going to increase the rent by $50 a week. And what's really interesting and more interesting in, in the results um, is that uh, the majority of investors said that they're only passing on about 10% of the increase in that increased holding cost to, to, ten, to tenants. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of, uh, what would you call it? <clears throat> you know, media media scaremongering about greedy landlords and that really is a narrative that I really am trying very hard to change mm. um, when no one talks about the fact that, you know, rents were benign here in Queensland. They actually went backwards up until COVID, you That's know, wild. and many other locations as well. If we, uh, Peter Kalisos, our former chair and, and sort of current board member, did some wonderful research um Uh, I think it was about last year, and at the time, it showed that rents around the nation actually hadn't increased um, in line with inflation for the last ten years. That's right. Um, So no one. So it's kind of it's one of these short-term things where obviously at the moment there are not enough not not enough rental properties. Um, That's for a bunch of reasons. Yes, investors are selling. They are selling. I don't think they should, but many of them are uh, because often they just own the one. They're probably maybe not overly educated, or in regards to property investment or sophisticated and it doesn't take much to spook them. I mm. think, um, as we always talk about, you know, property investment is a long-term strategy, um, and that and that requires being having the ability to ride out peaks and troughs of markets, ride out changing policies, uh, which happen all the time, unfortunately, and they shouldn't. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, what we're seeing at the moment is that investors are, for a variety of reasons, number three, actually, the number three reason why investors were selling were rising interest rates. Of course, um, yeah. I thought that would be number one, but it's number three. Mm. Uh, so that's really interesting as well. Absolutely. Um So, yes, look, the supply issue um, is, you know, th- there's many reasons, myriad reasons why we have a massive supply issue. It actually started happening in 2015 when investors couldn't get access to finance because of APRA changes, and it actually started going down from there, hit a rock bottom in 2020, and only relatively recently has gone back to historical averages. So if we think it's, you know, 2023 versus 2015, we had many years when the normal volume of investors transacting weren't happening, mm. and now we've actually seen, a, a, you know, a huge volume of, of them offloading. Um, at the same time as we have record overseas migration, and uh, you know, blind Freddie can and work out what's happening there.
0: Absolutely. And I will say also that for every property investor that sells, it's not actually um, necessarily selling to another property investor. So it really does shrink the supply. And in fact, this is also something that uh, your survey sought to understand and you actually asked investors if they did sell um, who who purchased the property and mm-hmm. and you've got some incredible results in relation to that as well which does confirm that the, the rental supply has shrunk can you share with us the results in relation to you know who did buy the properties that investors sold
2: yeah I mean 73 uh, percent of those properties were bought by home buyers or homeowners so there could be existing uh you know an upgrader a downgrader uh it could it could be a first home buyer uh, what was interesting in the results was that last year, 33% of those investment dwellings were bought by other investors, whereas this year it was only 24%. Mm, um, interesting. So, the, and one argument that I always get when we say numbers like this, well, is, you know, well, if a first time buyer bought one, you know, isn't that good? And I always say, yes, it's always good because we encourage a home ownership. But it, and they go, well, that means that they've moved out of a rental property and then that rental property will be available. And I'm like, that's not necessarily the case. It's probably highly unlikely to be the case. Yes. But it's very hard to argue against some mindsets when we think about majority of first-home buyers are probably in share houses. Um, They possibly are still living at home. Uh, So, yeah, we do have a little bit of pushback when we talk about, you know, the volume of first-home buyers that might have bought that stock. But it's important to understand um, that generally speaking around the nation, we history shows us, we have around about 30%, give or take, of rental accommodation, 30% of the market being rental accommodation. Mm. That's like kind of stable, static, because people are renters at different times of their lives for different reasons. There is a percentage of people that will be long-term renters because they'll never be able to purchase the property. I mean, we're never going to have 100% of people in any nation that can afford to purchase a property. Um, we have people that are you know, coming into the rental market for short-term periods, those that are at uni, you know, whatever it might be. Um, so we need this stable supply of rental accommodation around the nation um, and clearly that's not happening because we have too much more, too, too, you know, more demand than supply. One of the major issues that is happening at the moment, which is only just starting to get a lot of publicity, and I saw Eliza Owen from CoreLogic mention this stat uh, recently that um, I think it was in the 1970s and 1980s, governments used to fund about 10% of new housing supply. It's now under
0: 2%. So if you want to
2: know, and then we're talking about social housing here and affordable housing. So they used to they used to fund 10% of everything that was built. And then I guess once private investors came into the market, they decided that they didn't need to do that anymore because we'd just do it right.
0: Yeah.
2: Um and there's less than two percent now. So that I think that is the major issue that has happened. Yeah. Um and what's really interesting from a uh, an industry point of view, and I guess from a representation point of view, when you kind of go, okay, so you, you know, they stop funding social and affordable housing, relying on private investors to do it, at the same time using us as cash cows all the time, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, so, like that, you know, I would it? love to see, um, I would love to see something, I have mentioned this um, to a, a couple of, of different uh, potential policy makers, um, some incentivisation policies. Uh, being brought in that would incentivize investors to not only get into the market, um, but to stay in it. So mm-hmm. what we want is, like we talk about, and I'm sure you guys talk about with your clients, it's a long-term strategy. That's right. Um, it's not speculation, it's the opposite of speculation. It's getting, you know, doing better financially slow. Um, so, you know, how great would it be if investors felt that they were supported, respected, um, you know, their vital role that they play in society mm. is respected but also it would be wonderful if there was some type of incentive and I don't know what that could be. Um, we are putting together some ideas um, where they come into the market but also they're rewarded in some way over the decades if they if they stay. Mm. And in and that way we can – because we, we don't want – I mean, no one likes the mental process, it's horrific yeah. for everybody, it's hurting yeah. everyone and we don't like people, no one likes home increasing homelessness, so how do we fix it? Well, we actually hopefully have a conversation with all the people involved, you know, not yeah. just one side, you know, or with everyone involved and also treat them with dignity and respect both sides, mm. I think that would go a long way to help us solve the situation we currently have.
1: Yeah, I agree. When you talk about those numbers, and it's just—it is amazing when you talk about um, two percent government. Ninety-eight percent is supplied by investors. And look, as investors ourselves, um, you know, we we do look long-term wise as well. You know, and and you look at things. I I understand when you when you talk, Nicola, about you know people cashing in, and I guess for some people, um, yeah, that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to cash in. Congratulations, you've you've made some good money in that in that high time in in the property market. But long-term wise, that's where that voice needs to be understood and listened to to keep those investors in that market because we're supplying shelter. At the end of the day, investors are supplying shelter for people to live in. If you don't encourage it and you don't you know, turn around and do things like rental freezes and land taxes and all these types of things that are pushing people away from that, otherwise they'll invest their money elsewhere. But at the end of the day people investing is it's actually a good thing it's a very mm-hmm. positive thing and it's i think there's good opportunities for people still um you know the rental as we say the rental market the vacancy rates are super low you'll get a tenant so it, it is encouraging for people to invest into property this is where we need to encourage it a little bit more
2: Yes, exactly, and I, you know, I don't. Like I said before. I do. I don't believe that investors should be selling. Obviously, people should buy and sell whenever it suits them. However, you know, the, that ability to hold for the long term and, and ride out the peaks and troughs of policy and market conditions is vital. Um, like keep your eye on the horizon. You know, don't worry about what's in the headlines today. Keep keep your eye into the future for the next twenty years or thirty years. That's what that's what counts. Um, but people make, you know, decisions obviously for their own personal personal reasons and uh, certainly from an investment point of view, as long as you can get access to funding, uh, to finance, which is not that easy at the moment, but probably will start easing up next year, um, will actually. Um, you know, a great time to buy, mm. honestly. You know, the metrics from a market point of view are very strong here in, in Queensland, you mm. know, and certainly here in Brisbane, um, you know, if you were thinking of investing, now now would be as good a time as any, but yeah. unless it was yesterday. Uh so yeah, I, I agree with you um that, you know, whilst we're seeing investors offload their stock in, in, in quite you know significant numbers, um, we are actually starting to see though that the volume of investors coming back into the market in regards to lending is 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 increasing. increasing. Again. Yeah. But yeah. it's gonna take a long time if we think about how far it went down. Mm-hmm. I think investors are normally Around about thirty-five percent of lending in this country. Um and it started trending down from twenty fifteen, as I said, it hit twenty two point eight percent in twenty twenty. So, so you know, yeah. we haven't had that normal regeneration of investors coming into the market that we would normally have. And so you're kind of in this a trough of supply where normally you would get, you know, we do have some data on this. I should have read it again before I came on the show. But you know, I think um it's probably you know, the normal volume of investors were probably at about half of what they should be over the last 10 years.
0: Mm. Can yeah, I so ask a question?
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, can I ask a question, Nicola, in relation to your survey? Um, in For those investors that, that did sell in the last 12 months or that have sold recently, um, was there anything collected in terms of how long they had previously held those properties? No, for?
2: no, because <laughs> that, and you know what, that came up the other day and uh, with the journalist I was working with, uh, and I was like, I was like, I wish I had that stat. So not, it wasn't there this year, but it's going to be there next year. Next year, year. Okay. I would investment. love to know. I would love to know that too, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, a, mm. I'm a stats nerd. To go, it would be really interesting to see if many of these investors perhaps are quite early in their investment journeys,
0: or Um perhaps purchase because, when interest rates were at record lows, so they're feeling right. the pitch. Whereas many of us that have held long term. We understand right. the, the ebbs and flows that interest rates will go up and down, and so you're coming down to educating um, an investor upfront about the long-term opportunity, because interest rates were never going to stay as long as they as low as they were oh, yeah. long term, and so perhaps did people make a decision. Um, based on the circumstances at the time of purchase instead of forecasting for higher interest rates in the future mm-hmm. it's just an interesting data point as a, a data nerd myself um, yes. and we'll we look forward to, to seeing to those, those.
2: year and when we have a chat, we can't wait to see year, them yeah we can, we can see what because that's the thing as I mentioned at the outset you know we are actually creating these really robust data sets now. That, that didn't exist. And and I kind of like to think that the association has also inspired other data houses to start taking seriously investor selling activity um, so that we can best understand what's happening. And you know, so I always talk about in interviews, you know, um, about the symbiotic relationship between tenants and landlords, um, or property investors, I prefer to use um that term. But um because one can't exist without the other, right?
0: That's right. Absolutely. You, no. you know,
2: and so and that, beca- and, that, and that is so important in regards to policy too mm-hmm. and representation. So, you know, I've been to a couple of um, state-based, um, what would you be called stakeholder meetings, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, over the years, and often there will be 90% of people in that room or on the tenant side of the equation, and there might be myself in the REIQ.
0: Mm, yeah, speaking on behalf of landlords. And it really yeah. is important to have um, a fair and equitable voice for all parties. Uh, because if you're really going to push and drive investors away from the market, it's just going to exacerbate um, the the issues that are already here now um, in relation to tenant supply and to the number of properties available for rent. Um, and it's really not the best approach. So you know, policymakers, um, you've heard it here on the Brisbane property podcast, there's potentially better ways to do it. um, If Nicola has a place at the round table uh, for those types of meetings that do take place, then obviously, the voice of property investors can be heard and considered, which I think up until this point has not been something that um, has been put forward. Nicola? yeah, Exactly. And
2: I I, I think, you know, we're not asking for the sun here, we're just asking to, to be included in the conversations. And you know, for policies to be respectful of, of both parties, um, and and
1: certainly often we we don't see that at all. Yeah, I, I was I was just going to say then. Um, there's probably listeners out there, and this is I know we could probably we'll probably talk all day. I know Melinda and you would probably talk all day, um, especially when it comes to data. Uh, Lucky
2: I'm seeing you next week in Sydney.
1: <laughs> we are. We're off to the Pepper Conference next week, so we're looking forward to that because I'm sure there'll be some really good discussions as well in that. This this um research and survey that you've completed. Now, I know you put an article on LinkedIn um, yesterday. Mm. The the listeners out there, if they wanna understand a bit more about this or or read a bit more about it, can they find it? Can they actually access any of this sort of information?
2: Yes, Um, so you get the the PIPA website, which is pipa.asn.au, it's under our news and events section on the website. Actually, all of our surveys are on there from 2015 which actually was really good analysis that I was running through the other day uh, when a a journalist asked me, because I think about 4% of respondents um, said that Melbourne had the best investment prospects in the country. Mm. Um, And he goes, that would be the worst in the survey ever. And I went, well, let me check. And it was because it peaked at about 27%, but now only 4% of people um, chose Melbourne as having the best investment prospects. Brisbane was still number one. It has fallen out of favour some, somewhat, and as I say, it's the sentiment survey, um, but it's Brisbane and Queensland have been number one throughout the nine years of the survey. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the paper website, just go to our paper Thank website. You. you can actually access all of our releases and also every single copy um, of the survey that we've ever done is publicly available on our website.
0: And Nicola, um, PIPA as an organisation, if people would like to understand more about membership, the benefits of membership, affiliation, um, what is the process that they need to follow?
2: So PIPA obviously is an industry body for people that are employed in property investment. Mm we, but, but I guess what was quite different about us is that we're um, multi-sector. So we have buyers' agents as members, we have mortgage brokers as members, we have conveyances as members, we have accountants as members. Anyone who might be, you know, providing property investment advice um, can join PIVA. And um, they also need to agree, uh, agree to abide by our code of conduct as well, because unfortunately, property investment advice is not is not regulated, mm. uh, and, and and unlikely to ever be uh, too difficult at a policy level. My understanding is um, so we, I guess, exist to be self-regulatory in that way in lieu of, you know, in lieu of legislation in that very specific space. So clearly there's legislation, you know, protecting consumers across the various sectors. Um, So we're, you know, so we're an industry association for anyone who might be working in property investment. What we also did, uh, thankfully, from our our founding members all those years ago, um, they actually created a training program uh, called the Qualified Property Investment Advisor course, because again whilst, you know, real estate licence and you're a buyer's agent or you're a mortgage broker, um, there wasn't actually any kind of training available out there on property investment advice. Uh, so we've had that course for many, many years. Uh, I think we've had um, more than 600 students uh, go through it over the years. Um, so that's part of what we do as well, which is, okay, well, we'd love, you know, people to become members of PIPA. Um, mm. We want to have the highest standards of business practice out there which our members you know have and abide by our code of conduct but also we want anyone who might find themselves organically giving property investment advice um, say a mortgage broker sitting down with the client and next thing you know they're advocating for something when they don't actually really know whether that's a good strategy or not then we've got the qpia um, accreditation which allows them to actually be educated and give you know professional advice mm. um that their clients will you know protect protect their clients um so the other two sort of things that, that we mainly do obviously the representation as well but all of the information is available on our website um, yeah, the, and, and the association has grown significantly over the over the years um which is a wonderful thing to um to witness
1: and the, and the qpia we have more than one of those in our office um okay. a bit more qualified than the um the the someone sitting around on the barbecue having a beer on the back deck
2: oh, aren't they? Exactly. And what we know, what we want is, you know, as many people as possible who are serious mm. about being, you know, the very best property investment advisor they can be. You know, consumers really need to look for that QPIA uh, qualification because that's a sign that someone has actually, you know, gone off and done, you know, this training program um so that they can be the best. Best version of themselves for their clients. Absolutely, um, I would love to. I would love to see it at some point in the future. Given that we are, you know, self-regulatory, we unfortunately are unlikely to ever see uh, regulation in our space. So I would love to see it sometime in the future. Probably not while well, I'm still chair, but you know, where where if anyone's thinking of investing or or even buying a property, um, they check. That they don't even bother working with someone unless they're members of the main associations. Okay you know, and that can be ours, it can be others. Um, but then also, if they are gonna be getting property investment advice from somebody, make sure they've got a QPIA and don't Absolutely. work with them if they don't. I would love that. Could you imagine that?
1: Yeah.
0: It would be How amazing, cool would
2: such, be? A, such a massive investment. I, also, what I, I think what's happened is in regards to the rental uh, prices, a lot of people, unfortunately, they buy an investment property without using professional advice. And it's probably more likely than not that they go off and buy something that's underwhelming. Mm, it's inferior. It's in a bad location. It performs badly. It doesn't, you know, the capital growth is woeful or the you know, the, the the cash flow is super negative. They can't afford to hold it, right? And I think that's why we see what I call accidental investors or people that are churning, they're selling in the first few years, in the first five years, mm. uh, because they bought a dud, mm. because they went off and did it themselves. Mm. I feel that if more and more consumers use qualified professional and investment advisors, they're going to be buying, you know, a superior asset that's got capital growth and income producing, you know, you know, potential um, superior to what they could have done on their own. And therefore, I believe they would have more, much more chance of holding that property for the long okay. term and we wouldn't see the issues that we're having now. So okay. I know it's a lofty goal. My dad always said there's no point aiming for the middle. Um, So, you know, that's what I would like to see because that is actually part of the solution, right, Mm. is for people to actually work with experts um, to make sure that because most people are only going to buy one investment property. They might buy two, as we know. Make sure they're the best ones you can get. It's highly unlikely that you'll be able to, you know, source one that could be, you know, in the same league. As professionals in this space, so absolutely. A um, bit of a rant there, I'm sorry, but um, I would just say to all your listeners, please make sure that the person that you're choosing to work with and that you're paying a fee, um, and you know potentially buying a property that's six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars, make sure that the you know, in membership of the industry associations, make sure that they have the, the necessary um, qualifications, you know, and make sure they know what they're talking
0: about. It's something that we often talk about on our podcast. Um, Make sure that you understand who you're working with. You mentioned a lot of investors do it themselves, and they Mm -hmm. do Uh, purchase underperforming assets and that may be a reason why they exit early but I can guarantee you there's a lot of investors that do partner with so-called professionals who may not have the experience and they still guide them towards underperforming assets and it breaks my heart when that happens but there is a way consumers can protect themselves they can search for people who are members of PIPA they can also search for qualified property investment advisors and they just need to head on over to the PIPA website to be able to do that so there are more than 600 uh, QPIAs out there. If you're going to partner with someone to give you investment advice in relation to property, choose someone that has done the accreditation course, choose someone that's going to look after your best interest um, and not uh, you know, someone that's just going to be transactional for their own benefit, best advice of the day, I, I'd say. <laughs>
2: Thank you. And I often, we often say as well, you know, when you, when you sort of try to stay away from spruikers as much as possible as everyone should, Make sure they follow the same strategy that they're promoting to you.
0: Absolutely, good advice. That's, not,
2: that's also key, right? Mm-hmm. Well, make sure they actually are an investor. Yeah, you know, you. Not a lot you of know, fancy Some of these, some of these new the you even bought a property.
1: Yeah, yeah. Put your money where your mouth is.
2: That's <laughs> right. Just do it. Like, and you know what? We spend more time researching a new pair of shoes uh, or a new car. Like, how much time do we spend researching a yep. car? Um, but people don't spend enough time researching the people that they that are purporting to be experts, um, and that they're prepared to pay a fee for, or god forbid, no fee, steep mm, um, learning fee. That one, that um, um, you know, but they don't spend enough time doing their own research into the people that they're going to trust their mm-hmm. financial future. Um, and it really would only take you know probably less than an hour, let's mm-hmm. be honest. And the best operators out there, as well, they're more than happy for anyone to speak to previous clients as well of and testimonials of this nature, you know? So I think people also just need to take a little bit of responsibility themselves to do their research on the people that they want to work with.
1: Well, I think that has been an interesting chat for our listeners. They've got some, <laughs> um, look, they've got some hot off the press information there. Um, first, first time here, have first time heard it, um, on the Brisbane property podcast. Um, look, there's a, there is a lot more, we could, we could, could, as I said, we could talk all day, Nicola, and it always is lovely to chat to you. We will chat again next week, no doubt, at the conference, we will, uh, and we'll talk more and more,
2: people, yes, maybe.
1: And, may, and maybe <laughs> chat more. So, <laughs> um, Look, to our listeners, thanks very much, um, Nicola, for joining us. Um, it's been great. We'll, ha- we'll have you on again to give more updates and chat. As Nicola said, go and have a look at the PIPA website if you want to see some more information on the survey that has just been completed and previous surveys. Um, And as usual, I will let Melinda wrap it up and say goodbye. Thanks very much, Nicola, for joining us. And from me, thanks very much, listeners. Talk soon. Bye for now.
0: Yes, thank you so much, Nicola. It's been an absolute joy to to share your knowledge with others and also to share the results of the most recent survey. Thanks for coming on the show.
2: Thanks for having me. It's always lovely to see you both.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much, Nicola. Um, As always, we hope you have enjoyed uh, this episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. Um, Don't forget to share the episode with friends and family if you think there is benefit to them in hearing some of the content that we share. Um, Also, we would love for you to leave us a review on your favourite podcast player um, and let others know more about uh, the value of listening and tuning in every single week. We look forward to speaking with you again soon. Until then, bye for now.